0: And this
1: is our Living Torah class, which which is the Hasidic dimension of the Parsha of the week. Um, If you haven't received the sheets from Rifkamarga, let me know. She said that you can WhatsApp her, message her, and she'll send it. Do you have it, Adina and Chayalea? You don't. Okay. So I'll, I'll share screen. I'll share screen with you ladies so you'll be able to see the sources, etc. cetera. Um, we are going to be talking about the power of one. There we go. Can you see that now? Adina and Chayalea, can you see that?
0: Okay. Yeah, Hi. I can
1: see. Thank you. Okay, great. So just so you know, that'll be helpful for those of you who don't have um, the printed versions. So we're talking about the power of one uh, in connection to Parshat Amor, but also in connection to uh, Lagba Omer, which is coming up in less than a week. And also in connection to Perke Avot that we'll be reading um, this week. Chapter four, so the power of one, here we go. A question for Adina and Chayalea, whoever would like to answer. Did you ever invest yourself in a mitzvah and feel disappointed afterwards, wondering about the impact? And I'm gonna broaden the question. It doesn't have to be a mitzvah. It could be a project, a good initiative. I can see your face, Adina, so I can see you nodding. Um So do you want to share I mean any experience that connects to this?
2: Um, I can share one that just comes off the top of my head, um, and I, I think I told you about it actually when I was remember in Israel I was trying to deliver food, and there's like one time when I hadn't delivered in a week, and there's all this food that I wanted to deliver from like leftovers from my and I kept trying to get to their house, and it just, like, was a really hot day, and it just wasn't working. The first time, like, my cart turned over, so, like, all the food (laughs) fell out of the cart. And the second time, like, I took the wrong bus. I don't know why. Um, And so it was just kind of one of those things where it's just, like, this, I just didn't feel, it's usually so rewarding, and then, you know, it's, it doesn't. To
1: fruition, okay. and, and it's
0: frustrating.
3: And
1: Hash. Hash. Yeah. Wow, so, um, we're talking about one. W- and um, yeah. Yeah. just shared with us an experience where we said sometimes you may do a mitzvah or a positive initiative, you might even feel disappointed or disillusioned after. That could happen. Kyle shared about delivering food to the needy, and the cart falling over, and the mess, and the dirt, and, you know, the letdown, you're trying to do something good, and it kind of, it's like, it's smashing in your face, okay? Great example. Um, sometimes it can even be um, emotionally disappointing, right? I mean, besides, like, this was more, I think, kind a physical example of things messing up, but, you know, a woman in, uh, in our group in, in Baca shared how she gave up her place on the train uh, for an older woman. The woman is not young herself, but she gave it for a more elderly woman. And then the woman ended up yelling at her that she was standing too close to her. You know, we're talking about um, recently with all the social distancing. So you do miss when someone yells at you. You know. So this can happen in different shapes or forms. Um, Adina, do you want to share something? Or Sarah, we're talking about trying to do a mitzvah, trying to do something good and having a letdown
0: after. Yeah? You want to share? Sure. Um, OK, Okay. so earlier this week, uh, I'm in this WhatsApp group. Um, for like rachavia offering and asking for help and there was a single mom who asked if somebody could watch her kids because she's just like really struggling so I offered to watch her kids at the park um and I took her kids to the park and um I took them there for four like it was only for 40 minutes and I was like was this even that helpful like her I had to she, she didn't want her kids playing on the playground so I had to like be really strict with them like you can't touch the playground and they got upset and so it was just like just a difficult situation. They didn't know me. So I was like, it's hard not to, after that situation, kind of like ponder, like, did I do enough? Was I helpful enough? Like, could I have done more? Was it even that helpful at all? Um, So yeah, I definitely relate to that.
1: Wow. Okay. Thanks for sharing, Sarah. And both Kylie and Sarah's example, sometimes when we feel the least good inside, we may actually be doing the greatest of all. So here's a story that happened with Rabbi Gutnick from Australia, he's Mishliach, uh, and I'm sorry, have the Rebbe, and the Rebbe came out with one of his Ten mitzvah campaigns. Those of you in my note around Yiddish you might be familiar, right, with the Ten Mitzvah campaigns, and one of them is Family Purity, Tzara Mishpah. So the rabbi said, um, okay, this might sound... Um, you know, new and different, but we're going to try to teach women about this mitzvah. So Rabbi Klinik invests himself, like the best designer. He made beautiful flyers, advertisements in the newspapers. For weeks, he was preparing and like putting together this amazing class. The refreshments were like five-star, and the big evening arrives. And lo and behold, one woman shows up. For this major crash course on Tzaraat Mishpacha, you can imagine how the Rabbi felt. Okay, um, not not so great inside, and he actually shared with the Rebbe after about his disappointment that although he had tried and invested and prepared, his project had been, he said, unsuccessful because only one woman showed up. And the Rebbe's response is quite profound, and the rabbi looked at him and said you know how many mothers did Moses have how many mothers did Moshe Rabbeinu have in other words if you think about that right just one Jewish woman but her keeping the mitzvah and one holy child that she can have that can be a future Moses who are we to judge and who are we to know so, um, you know, you can apply this in different cases, but your 40 minutes, uh, you don't know, um, you know, how the mom's sanity might have been on the brink or on the edge. You know, just those 40 minutes, and even though you were struggling and whatnot, you don't know what it could have given to this mom. Um, and Kyalea, you know, with all the mess of the food and the cart spilling, um, you might not have seen the scene after, you know, of the needy family enjoying. Um, you know, the fruits of your labor. So we don't always know, but what we do know is there's great power in one individual, one good word, and one good deed. And that's what we're talking about today. So let's have a reader for the MR summary. You can see it, I'm sharing my screen with you. Um, Adina, will you read the first paragraph for us from the MR summary, which is right here.
3: Okay. The Torah section speaks of Emor. Um, the Torah section of Emor speaks beginning with the special laws per- pertaining to the kohanim, the kohan gadol, and the temple service. A kohan may not become ritually impure through contact with a dead body, save on the occasion of the death of a close relative. A kohan may not marry a divorced woman, a woman with um, a promiscuous past, and a kohan gadol cannot, can only marry a virgin. A newborn calf, lamb, or kid must be left with its mother for seven days before being able to able, um, for an offering. One may not slaughter an animal and its offering on the same day.
1: Okay, so thank you, Adina. You read the first paragraph. Special laws for kohanim. Um This is still, some of them are still relevant today. So it's important to know that. Like a kohen, is still not supposed to go to the cemetery or come in contact with the dead. And it's important as women to know also uh, whom a cohen can or cannot marry because after teaching in my note, um, well, it's almost 12 and a half years now. Um, I, I, I've been witness to a couple of um, you know, major disappointments that just came from a lack of information. So, basically, every young woman has to know if she may or may not marry a cohen so you don't end up. Dating someone and getting involved—if it's you know not politically eligible—I mean, the cases that I know, I mean, it was like an engagement or almost an engagement by the time they found out. Um, you know, if there was a an intimate relationship with a non-Jewish man uh, for the woman that passed them, that, that would um, be one of the scenarios. That could eliminate a Kohen. I mean, as you see the other um, examples as well, convert, et cetera. Okay. So also notice how the Torah is teaching us kindness to animals. You can't slaughter an animal and its offspring on the same day, the mom and its kid. And God is teaching us to be merciful, have feelings, care about animals. It's a mother. It's, it's young. You don't do that. You have to be kind and compassionate. All right. How about, um, Sarah, could you read the next paragraph, the second part of Emor, after we've dealt with the kolinin, um, and we just spoke about the kindness of the animals, the second part of Emor.
0: The second part of Emor lists the annual callings of holiness, the festivals of the Jewish calendar. The weekly Shabbat, the bringing of the Passover offering on the 14th of Nisan, the seven-day Passover festival beginning on the 15th of Nisan, the bringing of the Omer offering from the first barley harvest, on the second day of Passover and the commencement on that day of the 49-day counting of the Omer, culminating in the festival of Shavuot and the 50th day, a remembrance of shofar blowing on the 1st of Tishrei, a solemn fast day on the 10th of Tishrei, the Sukkot festival during which we are to dwell in huts for seven days and take the four kinds, beginning on the 15th of Tishrei and the immediately following holiday of the 8th day of Sukkot. Okay, thank you so much, Sarah. So we get to read about all of these holy
1: holidays in the Parsha of Amor. Um, beautiful and uplifting Jewish holidays. And finally, um, Yardena, would you read for us the last paragraph from the MR summary? Yardena, are you, are you yes. able to? Okay.
3: Yep. 10, 10. Next, the Torah discusses the lighting of the menorah in the temple, the showbread, Lehem Hapat placed weekly on the table there. More concludes with the incident of a man. Executed for blasphemy, and the penalties for murder, death, and for injuring one's fellow and destroying his property. Monetary compensation.
1: Okay, thank you so much, Yardenna. So, we're actually gonna talk when we talk about the power of words about this incident of a man who cursed in the name of God um, and received the death penalty for that. We're gonna talk about that more soon. So, As you see, our topic is the power of one individual, one word, and one action. Let's start with the power of just one person. Like we said said, to Rabbi Gunik, Moses just had one mother. You know, all it takes is one righteous, um, holy mother who can nurture, you know, a Moses. Or who could become a Miriam, you know, who could become... Um, a prophetess and a leader in her own right. So the power of one person, uh, Spirit of Omer, Matzacharalat the Omer. So let's have uh, a reader for the Mitzvah of Spirit of Omer, which not, not you know, the actual practice is not lost on us here. It always falls out during the weeks that we're actually counting the Omer that we read the mitzvah of Sfira Omer. So it doesn't work with everything. Like we're reading about the holiday of Sukkot, right? We're reading about Tzal HaTorah. We're reading about all these holidays, as you saw in the summary. And it's not that time of the festival, festival but Sfirah Omer, here it is in our Parsha. Um, let's see who can read for us. Um, I can read. Let's see. Hi, Alea.
2: Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, OK, well, so. Um, oh I'm just not going to read the Hebrew um, and you shall count for yourself from the morrow of the rest day, from the day you bring the omer as a wave offering, seven weeks they shall be complete. you shall count until the day after the seventh week, namely the fifteenth day, on which you fifth shall bring yeah? a new sorry fifth, sorry, I'm on a cell phone fiftieth that makes sense um, on which you shall bring a new meal offering to the Lord. What is um, Sefirat omer An omer is a measure one-tenth of an ephah about five pounds. And, um, and on the second day of Pesach, they will bring an omer of the new crop of barley, and only afterward would um, the new grain of the year be permissible to eat. For the day of the offering of the omer, we are commanded to count 49 days and the fiftieth day in Shavuot.
1: Okay, beautiful, uh-huh. so yeah, chay thank you so much. So, usfartem l'chem, we're supposed to count, day after Shabbat is explained as a day after Passover, a second day of Pesach. And I just want to explain, there's like a technical and a deeper level of this spirit of Omer. So the technical part is, was actually a sacrifice that was from barley, and it was an Omer, which is a measurement, it's about five pounds. Um, and they brought this offering on the second day of Pesach, and now everybody could use the new grain. That still applies. Um, nowadays, you might see a few keys or cake that it says it's clean from chadash You don't have to worry. Um, it's it's, it's uh, eligible to use the new grain. Okay, but on a deeper level, let's see what Rabbeinu Nissim has to teach us. So how about um, Sita? Are you able to read Rabbeinu Nisim? We're, we've had the uh, screen share. Sita? Yes. By the way, ladies, who I, I so um, appreciate and enjoy seeing those of you who are able to be on camera. So this is just a warm invite. Thank you, Sarah. It's good to see another face. Okay. So, um, Anadina, thank you. Tita, you can read for us. Rabbeinu Nisim. Okay. <clears throat> what is the idea of the counting? When Rabbeinu Nisim, uh, wait. Okay, so that's B'nai Yisrael. That's, oh. that's a shortcut. Okay, B'nai Yisrael. When B'nai Yisrael left Egypt, they were told that in 50 days they would receive the Torah. Out of great anticipation and excitement for their marriage with Hashem, the Jews counted the days, and we do so in memory of that. And because each year we accept we reaccept the Torah with renewed passion and love. Okay. So we're not only counting days. Thank you, Tita. We're not only counting days between barley offering and wheat offering, which took place on Shavuot. Okay. But rather, we are also counting days between the exodus and the receiving of the Torah, and there is even a parallel of seven weeks and the seven days, clean white days that a woman counts before going to the mikvah to reunite with her husband. So we are like really um, preparing for this great intimacy with God, this reunion that will take place, and it takes place every single year after these seven. Weeks, uh, which is the 50th day of Shavuot. So it's a very exciting count and an exciting time. Let's move forward. Um, Rabbi Dolfer, the Maggid of Mizrich, has another fascinating insight based on the Hebrew word sefira. So sefira means counting, but it also means something else. So, how about, let's see, um, Leonora, would like to read So, okay, let's try, um, Sarah, can you wait for us? Is Rabbi
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Rabbi Dovbear, the Magid of Mezrich. the word Sefira, counting, also means illumination. On each of the 49 days of Spirata Omer, the counting of the Omer, we refine, develop, and illuminate another of the 49 traits for our soul.
1: Beautiful.
0: Yeah, so we've now got a third dimension to the
1: counting. We're counting from barley offering to wheat offering that took place on Shavuot, right? We're also counting days from our exodus to the receiving of the Torah. And now we're learning that we're not only counting, but like a sapir, which means a shiny gem or a beautiful um, stone. We are shining and refining our souls during. These 49 days. And uh, if you're following Rabbi Simon Jacobson's book or, or the app, you, you'll be able to see that week by week, we are refining our seven emotional attributes. And you will know which media um, we're working on this week as we share this lesson.
3: Nessa? What is it? Is it Nessa?
1: Yes. Okay. Adina got it. Indeed, it's a Netza, which is endurance, victory, perseverance, going forward, even when the going gets tough, you know, the tough get going. So um, we are really counting and excitedly to reunite with God for the receiving of, receiving of the Torah. We're also shining our character um, each and every day, each and every night, by cleaning another character trait and making it shiny. All right, how does this connect to the power of one? So look at the rabbi's teachings from the Kut desichol volume three, and we're gonna see that the counting of spirit of Omer is unique. It's different than other countings that we have in Judaism. How so? Okay, so let's see. Um, I, did we last? Or was it down? I'm not keeping track so well? Okay. Do you want me to read? Um, Adina. Sicho, volume three. Okay. You see it? One sec. There it is. Yeah.
3: Okay. Sierat um, HaOmer is a preparation for Matan Torah, receiving the Torah. One of the connections between the two is emphasized on the individual Jew, about counting the, uh, counting the Omer. The Gemara says that there should be accounting for each one which is different than counting of Shemitah and yo Yova, um, which is the general and collective counting. So, too, okay, when well, they...
1: uh, one second. Adina, I'm going to yeah. interrupt you for a moment. I want to make sure everyone understood this point. So, the Rebbe says that, obviously, spirit Omer is related to the giving of the Torah because it's counting up to the fiftieth day when we receive the Torah. And the, the link that connects the two is the emphasis on the individual. So, like we said, this counting is unique in the Jewish law. We have Shemitah year, that's every seven years, right? You have to let the land rest. You have the Yovel, which is the 50th year. These countings are absolute and apply collectively and equally. Everybody's the same counting, by the way. Shabbat is also like a generic counting, you can't say. Oh, my seven days are now, you know, we all know when it is. So the difference, though, with spirit of Omer is that the Gemara tells us there's got to be accounting for each individual. Why is this, you know, relevant halakhically? Each one of us is counting our own tally, we're shining our own character traits. We are in our own seven weeks of anticipation for our reunion with God. Therefore, if someone crosses the international date line, halacha, this individual will, can end up celebrating Shavuot, not on the sixth of Sivan, which is the general, 50th day, but if you cross, you're basically messing with time when you cross the international date line, you could end up, instead of on the 6th, you're going to be on the 5th of uh, Sivan will be your 50th day, and you halachically, legit, have a holiday, and you celebrate your vow either before or after, without saying matan Torah, you don't call it the uh, giving up, or just omit those words from the prayer because Man matan is actually associated with specifically the six of uh, Siva. But in every other way, you would luckily be observing Shavuot, the holiday of because you finished your individual counting. Probably not a good idea to cross the international deadline um, during these days. It can get a little awkward. Okay, so everybody it's an individual counting. Each one of us, it's not an, uh, just the Jewish people are counting 50 days, so I missed whatever. Like, I'm not good at counting, but, like, it's happening. I know there's this uh, Jewish counting happening. It's actually a one-on-one, like a really individual thing um, that, that affects you and could even affect when you would observe Shavuot. Now, Sarah, would you continue from so-to with the giving of the Torah? You're going to see this
0: individuality. So, so too, like, like
1: in the middle of the
0: paragraph. So too, with the giving of the Torah, the 10 commandments begin, I am Hashem your God. In singular form, God gives the Torah to each one of us individually. He instructs each one of us personally to learn and fulfill the 613 commandments and gives us the strength to succeed. Halakha okay. practicality. Do you want me to read this too? Um, that's basically
1: what I shared about crossing the okay. international deadline. But about the 10 commandments, right? It opens up, Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I am Hashem. Elokecha is singular. Anyone know how you say your God uh, in plural? If you were speaking to a group of people, how would you say that? You wouldn't say Elokecha. Yes, Sarah, beautiful. You would say, Anochi Hashem, not you. I mean, it's God. God would say, Anochi Hashem Elokechem. He's talking to like, few million people, right? 600,000 men were dragged out at the giving of the Torah, so why is he saying I am your singular God? So the Rebbe is teaching us here on the Kutisikho because he is your personal singular God. It's not just this like collective relationship that we have as a Jewish people. We are also united as a group, but both Spirit Omer and Shavuot, the giving of the Torah, emphasize that there's something very individual. God is a God for you, for the one and only you. He wants you, He wants a deep relationship with you, um, and He's giving you the power and strength to now fill the Torah anew when you reach Shavuot every single year. So, the power of one, we select from Spirit Omer, we saw it from us and Torah. How about Lagba Omer? This is a big holiday, especially in Israel. If any of you have seen Lag Omer in Israel, I mean, this year it's not gonna—you're not gonna really see what it looks like. But all the bonfires, right, and all the Lagba Omer parades—it's unbelievable. And actually, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who's right side of this, instructed that we celebrate on this day, and whoever does will receive many blessings. Uh, from Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. He has connections up there. So we're going to connect Lab like, Omer and the power of what? So, um, why, besides that, it's Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's yard site, as we just said, and he told us to celebrate. There's another happy thing. You know that we're in days of mourning now, right? Like, not supposed to be music and now uh, weddings and, you know, it, the volumes a little bit lower why is that anyone know what happened during these days between Pesach and Lagva Omer that makes it Adina
3: like there was hatred amongst the students of Rabbi Akiva and so that hatred was amongst Jews and so it's like a really severe time and there was people that were dying so they stopped dying on Lagva Omer
1: okay excellent so that's what makes Bomer happy, but what makes these days sad um, leading up to it is that actually 24,000 students of Rabbi Akifa passed away The a terrible plague. And the Talmud tells us exactly as Adina said, "Shelo kavod zavazed. they weren't kind or respectful enough to one another. So Lagvomer um, the plague stopped, and that is cause for happiness and celebration. I want you to think for a moment about Rabbi Akiva, right? Um, I don't know how much you know about his early years and about his personal life, but this is Rabbi Akiva, who at the age of 40, right, um, decided to give up everything to study Torah and learn the Bet. He lived in poverty with his wife, Rachel. She had a lot of sacrifice. He was the daughter of one of the wealthiest uh, Jews in that time, called Zabua. She gave it all up to marry Akiva. She saw his great potential. In any case, after all these years of sacrifice, both from Akiva and from his wife, Rachel, he starts this, he he learned so much Torah, you know, he becomes a brilliant scholar, and he has an academy with thousands of elite students, like the creme de la creme, you know, he's got like, the shining stars of the generation and he's teaching them Torah and he's teaching them you know, he's teaching them put his heart and soul into it and then this happens not one, not 10%, not half every single one of his students 24,000, his whole academy is decimated basically by this plague um, I mean, we spoke in the beginning about feeling disappointment after you think you did something good or a spot. I mean, can, can one fathom the disappointment? I mean, the heartbreak that Rabbi Akiba might have faced, you know, to see all of his efforts end in this. Let's have a look at the Talmud Yubamo. What did Rabbi Akiba do in the face of this loss and tragedy and disappointment? Talmud Yubamo?
3: Sixty-two.
1: Are you raising your hand?
3: Is it to read? Yeah, I have a qu- I have a question. Oh, okay. I can also read a too. Question.
1: Okay, um, then I'll call on someone else to read after, so we get to to give other turns. Okay.
3: Sure. Um. So, basically, the students died because of the plague, but there was. The question is, wasn't there also like hatred amongst the students, as well, or no?
1: Okay. So the reason, the, the Talmud discusses what would be the reason that God would send a plague to kill them, like it's not a natural thing for young people in the prime of their lives to start falling dead, like 24,000 of them. It was obvious it was a plague, I saw I read maybe it was cooper or one, so it's a really nasty kind of plague that hit all these students. So the Gemara says, what you're saying is that they hated one another. The Gemara uses the language, which means that they did not show respect mm. to one another. Because the truth is, if you're sitting in Rabbi Akiva's study hall, and he says, love your fellow as yourself, it's pretty shocking that these could be people who would hate one another. So, I mean, the Rebbe explains that they didn't hate one another. They were so passionate Um, about their own way of thinking that they they couldn't um, hide the fact that it bothered them if others thought differently which yes you know it says two Jews three opinions so it wasn't a a, god forbid a hatred and it was well-intentioned it was like it's got to be my way and they were very honest so they was like I can't fake respect for you when I when you're doing things in a different way that I don't agree with. So the Rebbe says they were well-intentioned, but what they failed, you know, what where they were lacking is, Avat Yisrael doesn't mean that everybody has to do things my way and then I'll love them. Like, yeah, I'll love you as long as you um, have the same political views and, you know, we uh, agree on everything. No. So the lack of respect uh, came from the fact that they weren't able to respect multifaceted Views and approaches. So that's what the Guevara says for why they died. So that's why this is an auspicious time to add in love and respect and unity. So you're definitely right about that. Talmud Yuvamo 62b. Um, Chaya is Chaya. Chaya I see Chaya with us. Are you able to um, read from the Talmud Yay. Okay. Now I know Sorry. What Chaya did. Okay. I, I, it part- was hard. We're looking at the Talmud Yavamo, it's the second paragraph okay. on the screen, 62B.
0: Cool. Um, it was said that Rabbi Akiva had 12,000 pairs of disciples from uh, G- Gabatha to Antipatris. Pat- <laughs> All of them died at the same time because they did not treat each other with respect. The world remained desolate of Torah until Rabbi Akiva came to our rabbis in the south and taught them Torah. These were Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yehuda, and Rabbi Yassi, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Eleazar Ben Shimua. And it was they who revived the Torah at the time. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Chaya. So what did Rabbi
1: Akiva do, right? He did not fall into a deep, deep, dark depression, God forbid, you know, um, lock himself um, in, uh, in, in isolation and, you know, wallow in self-pity. But what did he do? He picked himself up. He lost everything. He goes to the south, and he's like, I'm going to teach new students Torah. And guess what? Just one, the power of one. Each of the five students, he lost 24,000. But wow, look at the five in his second wind, you know, that he now invested himself in. These five, it says, became the masters of the whole oral Torah. To the point where, look what the Talmud Sanhedrin tells us in 86a, look what the Talmud Sanhedrin says. This is like pretty huge. This is a really big deal. Um, how about Yardana? Do you want to read from the Talmud Sanhedrin? Do you see it?
3: Yes. Um, the name of the Parsha.
1: So whenever, whenever we encounter, could you see the screen? On the screen, whenever... Oh, I see where you are, just a little bit higher. Tomlitzamhedrin 86a.
3: Whenever we encounter an anonymous statement in the Mishnah, tosefta, sifra, or sifri, it is one of Rabbi Akiva's new students recounting a teaching that he heard from Rabbi Akiva.
1: Do you get what's being said here? Like, if there's no author, we know it's, it's from Rabbi Akiva in the name of one of these five new students. Wow right? Just wow. I mean, even if, let's say, um, you invest yourself, God forbid, you experience a loss. You know, this was not actually not a self-imagined or a small disappointment. I mean, it was a huge tragedy and loss. Never give up. This is the week of Netzach. Look at Rabbi Akiva in the week of Netzach, endurance. He persevered, and we have the oral Torah, a huge bulk of it, the credit of it, credit of it goes to Rabia Akiva and these five new students. So we've just summarized in part one the power of one person, of one individual, right? One woman who shows up to a class, we said. One person counting the 49 days, and it's your individual counting. And you are just one person that God is your God, and your God in a personal Elokecha. And look at Lagba Omer. Okay, just one Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai who authored the whole Zohar, and one Rabbi Akiva, I mean, and five students. But look what each one, just investing in that new generation, even if it's one or it's five, look what that produced. Let's talk about the power of one word, and we're going to see it for the positive and the negative. So our parsha, Emor, means speak. Like Amarti, Lemor, right? Emor is in command form, speak. So, what's the command to speak? What could God, you know, what could be the great mitzvah of Emor? You guys should speak. Let's see what the rabbi teaches us in the Kute Sichot, volume 15. Um, how
2: about Chayaleh? You see it? The lesson from the name? Um let's see here. Ah, yes. yes, um the name of the parsha okay, so we're talking about that. The lesson from the name of the Parsha to speak always and generously, words of praise to and about our fellow, which includes seeing him or her favorably. And just as Hashem's words create, we can create and reveal positivity in others through this kind of speech. Beautiful. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Chayoleah. So that's amazing. So um, according to the Rebbe, the message from S P, we already know there's a mitzvah, which means to speak words of Torah and prayer. But here we're learning that it's actually a beautiful mitzvah to say nice things. To and about others, and especially in a time where we're trying to rectify disrespect and disunity, and just as God created the world through speech, like one kind word, you don't know how you can make someone's day, and you know you don't even know. People have these crazy stories, you know, uh, a teacher or a mentor who said like one positive thing and the seeds that that actually planted. So one word, one kind word, MR, just say it. And the rabbi says, be generous. Don't be skimpy. Like with compliments and empowering words, go for it all the way. The end of the part is actually the opposite. We see what happens um, when Words are used in a positive manner. So, this is the story of the, the man who um, cursed in the name of God. negative speech, is cursing, but also we find out that his mother used speech in a less than positive manner. Let's have a look at chapter 2410. This is from our Parsha memoir. How about, Sarah, could you read now the son of an Israelite
0: man Sorry, an Israelite woman. I'm not sure if you were asking me to read my internet was just cutting out. Yeah, if you could okay. read, that would be great.
1: Chapter 2410. Now the son of an Israelite woman.
0: Now the son of an Israelite woman, and he was the son of an Egyptian man, went out among the children of Israel, and they quarreled in the camp, the son of the Israelite woman and an Israelite man. Okay, so great, Sarah. I know sometimes
1: you want to read that in Hebrew as well. B'Yakov ben Haisha.
0: Sure. B'Yakov ben Haisha, HaYisraelit at Hasham, B'Yekalal, B'Yaviu, Oto El Moshe, the shame Imo shall meet, but.
1: Okay, beautiful, Sarah. So this son of the Israelite woman pronounces actually the divine name, like the four-letter name of God, that you're never supposed to say it, and he cursed. He didn't say it. He was cursing the name of God. So they brought him to Moses, not knowing what will be the law. This had never happened in Jewish history. And the Torah tells us who was his mom, Shlomit, Bak, Divri from the tribe of Dan. Okay, so why is, Rashi has a comment here, okay? Why do you know who his, what his mother's name is? You know, why, why is that what Rashi has to say? How about Sita? Are you with us? One second. Um, we'll try someone else, okay? How about, um, okay, Chayalea? you see the mother's name was Shlomit the daughter of
2: Dibri? Um, why is her name mentioned, this one? Yes, uh,
1: got
2: it. Okay, this teaches us the, pr- the praise of Israel for scripture publicizes this one, effectively um, telling us that she alone among all the women of Israel was involved in an illicit relation, um, albeit unwitting on her part. So this is according to Rob um, Rabba. What what is that referencing?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna explain. If just uh, read, if you'll read the last, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of fill in the blanks. Okay. Nevertheless,
2: um, nevertheless, no other Israelite woman had even unwitting illicit relations.
1: Okay, what's going on over here? I mean, there's a lot of um, question marks. So let me tell you the story. Okay. Who is this man who goes out and has the audacity to curse um, in the name of God? We're talking about the son of Shlomi Bat-Divri, who has an Egyptian father, okay? Let's go back to Egypt and the Jewish people being, uh, you know, forced into a labor. And one morning, the taskmaster, an Egyptian not sent the home of Shlomit Battivri to collect her Jewish husband for work. Now this was a common scene. The only thing is what was not common was that, and this is what actually the next slash is going to tell us. Her name describes her personality. Shlomit has the word shalom hello. So she was a chatterbox. She would say shalom to you, shalom to you, and she would do this with men, okay? Now, none of the other Jewish women in Egypt interacted with Egyptian men. They were extremely modest and mute. Now, Shlomit was unwitting. We saw that. She was not at all um, intentionally sinning. She was, you know, it was all unintentional, but nevertheless, she was friendly, and talkative with the Egyptian taskmaster, and that ignited uh, his negative impulses. So what he did was he sent the Jew later that night out to the labor fields. He snuck into Shlomi's home. She thought it was her husband. It was in the dark of night, and this um, intimate relationship happens, which actually bears a son that we're now learning about in partial and He's got a Jewish mom and an Egyptian dad, okay? And just to give you a little more of the story, remember when Moses goes out to see how his brethren are doing and he sees an Egyptian mercilessly beating a Jew? That was the father of this Egyptian boy. He realized that the Jewish man, his husband, sensed something was amiss. When he came back home, he realized what had transpired. And the Egyptian, you know, the one who had this relationship, um, I mean, again, he was the one who was taking advantage of Shalomid, who had no idea. He, whether to, like, keep the Jewish man silenced or, you know, whatever he was doing, he wouldn't stop beating the Jewish man, which midrash says eventually caused the Jewish man to die, like Shlomit's Jewish husband. And in any case, Moses sees this scene, and it says that he killed the Egyptian by saying God's name. Remember, he looked this way and that way, and he, he uh, pronounces God's explicit name, and he, this Egyptian is the one um, who acted, you know, so, so cruelly and immorally that was killed by Moses and buried in the sand. Now, fast forward. Here is the son. Unfortunately, he inherited some negative character traits from his father, he would go around mocking Moses and mocking the Torah. He actually dwelled outside the camps, preferring to be with the impure people. But one day he settled in the camp of Dan, which is his mom's tribe. And that's where it says that there was an argument, you know, with him and an Israelite man. Basically, the tribe of Don said that the camp- encampments are by the father, so you're not really supposed to be camping in uh, Don, he says, my mom is from Don. They said, yeah, but you know your father, you know who your father was? And he says, yeah. He says, um, how did Moses kill my father? They said, you know, he said God's explicit name. And that's when he, in blasphemy, says the same explicit name of God, cursing and terrible intentions. And actually, the Torah law was then taught to Moses that such a person will be killed. It never happened before. There wasn't a Jewish person who went out and cursed God. But why am I bringing this in with the power of speech and the power of one word? Because, I mean, the Rabbi sums this up in the Qut, just to say she was shalom, shalom. But Dibri, Dibri is also made deberech She was talking with everybody, and then she fell into sin inadvertently. So speech can be so positive, so powerful, give a compliment, you know, give praise, say building words, um, be friendly with the right people. But as Jewish women, we also have to know that snooze is such a great virtue. And with some people, it's not a good idea to be overly friendly and overly talkative. And that's what happened here in the story of so look at the Kutisihol, volume 37, the Rebbe says, like, how can the Torah speak disparagingly about Shlomit? Again, she was not intentionally doing anything wrong. Um, and look what the Rebbe says, that we can say that through her, B'nai Israel, actually all of us learn the great extent that we should have the modesty. And this is her praise, this is to her credit. Ashley actually, actually says, this is a praise of all of Israel. Could you imagine that over hundreds of years of slavery were like no scandalous stories? There wasn't even one Jewish woman who was um, you know, raped or abused or taken advantage of. I mean, say from Shlomit, right? I mean, no one who did it willingly. Only one Jewish woman and it happened unwillingly. Wow, wow, wow like how great, how amazing the Jewish woman and the Jewish people are. So um, um, the Rebbe explains that because it's this praise of all the Jewish people, that includes Shlomit as well. In other words, we're all a part of all of Klal Yisrael. So if Kalal Yisrael is being praised, Shlomit is being praised. And on a deeper level, you see, according to the inner dimension, it says when you do tshuva from La like when you return to God out of love, it's a beautiful thing that, we, that we're that taught. Then, then it says, even sins become transformed into terrorists. It's like a mind-boggling thought. The sin can be transformed into a merit. So Rabbi's always looking for merit, and he says, because Shlomit is one in Parsha Amar, he's teaching us the virtue of modesty, and that this is a praise of the daughters of Israel, this is like her to for love. We can say that it's actually transforming her own deeds in retrospect to become a priest. Um, So I just thought this was a nice asichah to share and power of a word. Positive or negative, channeling our speech in the way. So, finally, we're going to conclude with the power of one deed. We spoke the power of one person, the power of a word, power of one deed. This is from your of this week. Chaya, would you like to read from the Criados? How do we see the power of one deed? Are you with us? Okay. Um, Leonora. Are we All right, how about um, Adina, would you like to read? You could read it in Hebrew or English, whatever you prefer. We're looking
0: at
1: chapter four, um, Mishnah 11. Okay, you're muted, one second. There, okay.
3: Rabbi Eliezer, the son of Yaakov would say, he who fulfills one Mitzvah, acquires himself one angel advocate. Who commits one transaction, requires against himself one an angel accuser. Repentance and good deeds are shield against retribution.
1: Okay, thank you so much. Adi. beautiful. So as you see, mitzvah um, chat konelo prakli You just do one good deed, you create an angel of protection. Even if your food falls all over the floor, makes you dirty. As Hialeah shared, Sarah, even if, you know, you're blue in the face watching these kids and thinking they're not even having a good time, every one mitzvah creates an angel, which is an advocate for you. And God forbid, uh, uh, sin creates a negative spiritual force or energy. So the one that teaches us this is Rabbi Eliezer ben he was actually a student of Rabbi Akiva, a great student of his. And the Talmud tells us a fascinating story Rabbi would be the right one to tell us that creates an angel. One time in the town of Rabbi a blind man comes collecting charity, and nobody pays attention to this poor, unfortunate fellow. Like nobody was giving him money or you know anything. So what did Rabbi do? He sat down next to this poor blind man, and all of a sudden, people started to pay attention. They started to bring food and money, and they treated him so nicely. And the blind man inquired, he said, What happened all of a sudden that everybody came nice to me? And he found out that the secret was rapidly Ezer uh, Ben Yaakov and he comes to him and he gives him this blessing and he says, You know, just like you were kind to me, someone who cannot see but is seen, may the one who sees but cannot be seen, bless you you know, with bountiful and indefin- infinite kindness. So basically he realized, you know, with the bracha that this blind foreign man gave him, how every mitzvah you do is creating this, like, cocoon, this beautiful angel of protection, even a blessing. Even Ramosha Moshe Feinstein says "An Amen, just answering Amen to someone else's blessing, creates a guardian angel, which brings merit and favor and protection to you. So, um, I'm going to conclude with um, a mitzvah that we learn in our so in our parsha of Amor, which is the mitzvah in chapter 22:32, "You shall not desecrate my holy name. I shall be sanctified amidst the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you." So, this is a parsha where we learn that we should all try to make the kiddush Hashem, sanctify God's name, and not I forbid you know, create a desecration of that name. So that means, like, to be a positive example, um, means to be a Jew, and everything that relates to Kiddush Hashem. So we just spoke up the power of one good deed from Pirkei Avot. every good deed he said an angel. I'm going to go off that in the show, making a Kiddush Hashem, and I'm going sure to you something I heard. A Rav Kiba from Mir, Shared this about Rabbi Benny Wolf, the front of the Ra'at. That is the amazing, devoted Chabad Shliach in Hanover, Germany, who recently passed away. You may have heard about him, right? He left behind an amazing wife, Stern, and eight children. And this Rabbi Meir Sternbach, Rashi Shiva Meir, I, I heard him sharing this shared with his students. He said he was one way says, "You know, I'm not Chabad in any way, shape, or form, but I have been blown away and inspired by Rabbi Benny Wolf. So, basically, going to Hanover, Germany to accompany a student for medical treatment. He's having a, a student had a head surgery in Hanover, Germany, and the whole family. They sent coach food." They were just so kind and generous to Rosh Sternbach and his student. And, you know, the Rosh Hashimah from here was just blown away by Rabbi Wolf. He said he knew how to talk to small children. He knew how to talk to the elderly. He knew how to just smile and make everybody feel so good. He connected to the politicians, doing this huge menorah lighting in Hanover did so much, but under such typical conditions. Like he really struggled financially. There was terrible there is terrible anti-Semitism in Hanover, Germany. And when he was leaving, after I don't know if it was a few weeks or a few months, the mirror of Shishiva says to Rabbi Benny Wolf, he was driving him in his car. Rabbi Benny Wolf was driving the mirror Shishiva and he says, you know. I need to ask you a question. He says, I just don't understand. He says, you're so gifted. You're so smart and talented. Look how you make connections between people. Look how you know how to teach Torah. You're you're amazing. You're gifted. You could make it big, like whether um, in in business or whether um, spiritually you could open a yeshiva. You could be so successful. Why would you live this challenging life in Germany. We are, there's so much anti-Semitism. You need to get your kosher meat from Paris. You need to sweat hard to like support your family financially. You don't even have a Jewish school. Your kids have to learn online. Why? He said like, why, why would you do this? And he says, I'll never forget what Rabbi Wolf answered. He said to him in Yiddish, he said, he says, I don't understand your question. So the mirror Rosh Hashiva says, it's a very clear question. Like, what do you have to gain? Like, what are you doing here? It's so tough. And he said, I know I am here. Rabbi Wolf said, full of passion, full of sincerity. He said, I know I am here. He said, I know I May he, he hear how he said it with such a emotion, so much passion he said, I'm here to make God's name known and great. He he said, don't you realize if one assimilated Jew in Hanover Germany can learn the smiths round, if one assimilated Jewish child can learn the alphabet, if I can give someone a warm kosher meal, this is exactly why I'm here. There's nothing better I want to do. I'm here to sanctify God's name, power of one deed. He wasn't looking for glory. He wasn't looking for the money or the honor. If he could make an impact, he saw himself as one individual, who could do even one more good deed, and that made it all worth it. So let's conclude with what he would often, often share at Fabrangian's, and he told us to share with others, what Maimonides teaches us in the laws of Teshuvah. Every day when you wake up in the morning, this is a beautiful meditation from Maimonides. You should meditate upon the fact that the entire universe is like a balanced scale of good and evil. And realize, says Maimonides, it's a halacha, that you, one and only you, your one good deed can tip the scale and bring salvation to the entire world. The power of one, the power of one individual, one word, one deed. You know, we don't know who that one mother of Moses might be, or who that one Mary or Moses baby. So, lechayim that we may all be able to access the amazing potential that we have this week of amor, spirit of Omer, love of Omer, by adding, again, even one myth this week, or one kind word, Tita, one kind word, one loving word, um, you know, one good deed, one thing. Do it this week and realize the magnitude of how it can actually change you and the entire world. So maybe we narrate that indeed um, we should each be able to, you know, utilize this potential and tip the scale to bring Mashiach speedily, speedily now. L'chaim, have a beautiful um, week and a beautiful uh, summer. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. you. You're welcome. So I am going to uh, end the meeting, right?